welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. Riverside Church is a community of believers striving side-by-side for the gospel in the greater New Orleans area. For more information about Riverside Church, go to riversidelife.org. Ephesians chapter 2 was what we just read. Jeremiah chapter 9. And Romans chapter 1. It's Ephesians chapter 2, Jeremiah chapter 9, and Romans chapter 1 is what we'll be looking at this morning. We're going to be, like I said, all over. We'll, we'll mention a lot more text than that. Um, but I love, I love music. Um, as you can tell, <laughs> I love music. I'm up here week after week and, and love it. Uh, try to be the best I can at it. Um, but to worship God through music and, 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 and that be a conduit, a conduit of, 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 of getting our emotions and getting our feelings and getting our celebration and getting the word of truth all out in one conglomerate song out to the praise and the glory and, uh, of Jesus Christ is so wonderful to me. And, and at times... Um, I, I've got to admit, at times, uh, whenever I sing, I just kind of go through the motions. You ever do that? Like you just sing, you just kind of go through the motions, or, or you, are, are you just maybe just stand there and you're like, uh, you're thinking about maybe what's for lunch today, or you're thinking about where you're going to go tonight, or you're thinking about Thanksgiving dinner tonight, uh, and that great, great turkey that'll be served tonight, and Labella's that will be catering that event. And we think about those things, and maybe our mind drifts and our mind wanders. Musical worship is where our hearts light up and declare the wonders and glories of God. And there's something about being in the house of God with God's people, declaring the glory and the wonder and the greatness and, and, and the awesomeness of God together in one voice. That is just mind-blowing and, 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 and I'm just and awestruck of it. And, and it's not that, you know, you get the oogly googly feelings. Yes, feelings are a part of worship. And don't let anybody tell you any different. Feelings are a part of musical worship. Because we feel for God. And as we, as we look in, in later on, this is not part of the sermon, by the way. As we look later on, we'll see that the glory of God demands a response from us. And it demands our, our affections. It demands our attention. It demands our life. Right, uh, Johann Sebastian Bach. I mean, if you are ever, uh, I mean, if you have heard his name before, familiar with him, uh, have you heard him? Just a few of us. Johann Sebastian Bach. You would recognize some of the music if you heard it. He was an 18th or 17th, uh, 18th century composer, German composer, and uh, composed some great music. He's my favorite, favorite uh, his, historical composer. Um, uh, he was. He's made all these awesome, beautiful, beautiful songs. And, um, and I would have loved to have been there when Johann Sebastian Bach is conducting this, uh, a symphony of beautiful music. Uh, but there's a reason why Johann Sebastian Bach wrote most of his compositions that he wrote. Um, you see, Johann Sebastian Bach, 
uh, or Bach for short, for short. Bach was a, was a, a dedicated, devoted Christian. He loved the Lord. Um, he attended, uh, he led music and, 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 and attended, uh, a, a few Lutheran churches. He loved God. In fact, so much so that at the bottom of every one of his compositions, he wrote the letters S-D-G. S-D-G. And S-D-G stood for Soli Deo Gloria. Soli Deo Gloria. Which is, not coincidentally, on purposefully I put this, it's the glory of God alone. That's what it means. So we're going to be looking at the glory of God alone today. This is going to finish off our our um, our series in the five solas of the Reformation. So we've looked at through Scripture alone. We've looked at us being saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. And today we're going to be looking at the glory of God, to the glory of God alone. I just want to talk about that phrase just for a second. The glory of God. What does that mean? That can be lost on us as Christians, right? Because look, the Bible is splattered with that, with that phrase and that term put in different ways. The glory of God. Sing to, to the glory of God. We'll be going over tons of scripture today that mentions the glory of God, glory of God, glory of God. And for those of us who have grown up in church or for those of us who have been in church a while, sometimes that can kind of fall uh, on deaf ears a little bit, right? And, and, and we kind of, uh, just mention it in passing and not really understand and know what it talks about. So we're gonna, do that first. We're going to set the ground, the foundation. We're going to go through some passages of scripture and we're going to look at what it is, what the glory of God is and how it affects us and how we respond to it. The meaning on us can be lost, but I love how John Piper puts it. One of my preacher, one of my favorite preachers, one of my uh, favorite modern day theologians, uh, Pastor John Piper. Um, he, he, he defines the glory of God first by taking us to Isaiah chapter six. Now, do you remember the scene of Isaiah chapter six? Isaiah chapter six is when Isaiah is, um, uh, 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 is, 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 is sitting there and all of a sudden he gets a vision, right? The heavens open up and he sees the throne room of God. Do you remember that? He sees the throne room of God. And what does he see? He sees the seraphim flying around the throne room of God. The seraphim, these mighty, huge, massive, flaming creatures that are flying around the throne of God, not protecting the throne of God, mind you, but worshiping at the throne of God. And they say a phrase in, 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 in their worship of God. They say a phrase. They say, do you remember this? Holy Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his, finish it, glory. The whole earth is, fi- is filled with his glory. And John Piper, he goes through these things and when he's defining the word glory, and when he defines the phrase, the glory of God, he, he, he takes this, this, the first three words of that, and he says, okay, well, the seraphim are, are flying around the throne, and they're shouting out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. So we know what holy means, right? Uh, if, if you don't, I'm going to define it. We'll all know what it means in about 15 seconds. Holy means set apart, a grade above, in a class by itself. And when you say it three times in Scripture, that's really holy. That's really in a class by itself. Like there's not even, there's not even anything close to this. 
And so John Piper, he points out, he says, uh, you would expect the text here in the passage to say, holy, 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 the whole earth is full of his holiness. Wouldn't you expect that? I mean, you might expect that. This is, this is how theologians think. We, 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 why does it say this? Why does, why does the, why does the passage say this? So when we doesn't, when it doesn't say what we expect it to say, we gotta ask, okay, why? Why doesn't it say this? And, and, and why does the writer choose this? The reason that the writer choose the whole earth is full of his glory instead of holiness is because holiness means that he's a cut above. He's set above. But the glory, listen closely, the glory is the outward display of God's holiness. The glory of God is the outward display. God's going public with his holiness. He's showing, in other words, creatures, us, mainly human beings, just how holy and how set apart he is in every category, in all attributes. He is showing us by doing something great, making something great, which points, which points to that holiness and to that being a class, a cut above, right? And so holiness is the public display, or glory is the public display of God's holiness. So when we say the glory of God, we mean we are looking at something, we are in awe of that something, and that points to something that says something about the attributes of God or the character of God. Does this make sense to you? Yes? Does this make sense? Okay. Hopefully I explained that well because if we got this, that's going to be the good foundation to the rest of the sermon. If you don't get it, then hopefully you can catch up and, 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 and get it. God's glory in our salvation. So we go back to the sola, to, to the glory of God alone. We're specifically talking about salvation. We're saved by grace, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. So why in, in our salvation does God alone get the glory? Why does he get the glory? So we're going to read this passage of scripture that Jared just read. Ephesians chapter 2. This is our first passage of scripture. So everybody look with me at Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 4 through 9. Okay? Verses 4 through 9. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of the great love in which he has loved us, he made us alive with Christ. Even though we were dead in trespasses, you were saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might, listen closely, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. For you are saved by grace through faith. Sound familiar? And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. And what Paul is saying here is he's saying, look, your salvation, your reconciliation with God, the reason that you have a relationship with God, the reason that you don't go to hell right now because Jesus Christ has died for you on a cross and has taken your place, the reason, the reason that you cannot boast in that, the reason that you cannot boast in your salvation, like I had something to do with it, or I contributed, you know, my 30% and God contributed the rest of the 70%, right? The reason that we cannot say that is because salvation is a work of God alone in our lives. Amen? It's a work of God alone in our lives. But then we look at one of these solas, all right? We look at one of these solas and it says, by grace, 
Through what? Faith. By grace, through faith alone. And faith, yes, is our part. And, and somebody might say, well, okay, hold up. Maybe if we're really thinking about it, maybe God does most of the work, but we do a little bit because we have to have faith, right? We have to believe. We have to, we have to trust, right? And, and maybe so, maybe like the glory doesn't go solely to God alone, but maybe like a fraction of it goes to me because I'm doing the trusting. I'm, I'm doing the faith. Now, let me give you an illustration. Just blow that out of the water. Okay. Y'all ready for this? All right. Let's say a man goes into a restaurant. A man goes into a restaurant, sad man eating alone in a restaurant, right? And, and his date maybe stood him up. I don't know, but he's in the restaurant alone. He's eating his, his delicious food. And then all of a sudden he starts turning red and it's very evident that he can't breathe. He's choking, right? And he's, he's, he's doing this number. He's walking around. Then all of a sudden he hits the ground, passes out. Well, there's this man a couple tables down and sees all this and he jumps up and he runs to this man and he knows the Heimlich maneuver and he starts working on him. He starts trying to get that out, out of his throat so that this man can breathe again. And he's successful. The food comes up. The man starts breathing. He comes to, and he says, Oh my gosh. Now, how foolish would it be for people to, in the restaurant to come up to the man who was choking and say, man, you did a great job. You trusted in this guy to save your life. You trusted in him to give you the Heimlich. I know you were passed out on the floor and everything, but you trusted in this guy. You didn't fight back. I mean, you, you probably could have woke up and kicked him off of you when you were choking and, and you didn't. Man, you did a great job. Way to trust. Way to have faith. Way to, way to believe that this guy could save you. No, that would be, that would be dumb. That would be stupid, right? No, what happens is people go to the man, to the good Samaritan, to the person who gave the Heimlich maneuver and saved this man's life and says, and says this, you saved this man's life. Wow. You deserve credit for saving. The reason that this man is alive is because of you and you alone right now. And that's how it is in our salvation. Right? We're passed out on the floor. We're choking. We're dead. Right? And all we do is place, we have no, 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 no choice, but when we see the glory of God to place our trust in God and let him save us, and he does, and we come to and we start breathing, the credit doesn't go to us, it goes to what? God alone. That's why we say our salvation goes to God alone. So how does salvation display the glory of God? Well, it displays certain attributes and characteristics of God, doesn't it? When we look at salvation, we see the mercy of God. And we see just how merciful he is. Because how many of you, before you came to know the Lord, you were great sinners? How many of you were great sinners in this room? All right, most of you are lying right now. All right, how many of you were great sinners in in this room before you came to, to, to know the Lord? Yes, you were. I don't care if you raised your hand or not. If you didn't raise your hand... You're lying. And you are a great sinner because you lied. But you were a great sinner before you came to Christ. But the, 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 the fact that God wants to save you, the fact that God wants to have mercy on you, tells us and it screams at us how merciful our God is. The, 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 the way that Jesus draws us to himself in salvation lets us know that he is a God who doesn't just, who isn't just merciful, 
But he draws us. He's, he woos us. He is a God who, 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 who cares about us intimately. Our salvation, yes, it glorifies God alone. This is what we mean when we say by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. But our salvation is not the only way that God shows his attributes to us. Our salvation is not the only way in which God displays his glory to us. God displays his glory in uh, an infinite amount of ways. In fact, I'm, I'm glad that Jared gave me this one uh, because I would say that the glory of God and the topic of the glory of God is the single most important topic in all of history, in all of the universe. The glory of God is the single most important topic in all of the universe. Why do I say that? Well, we're going to think logically. Not that we, we rely solely on logic, but logic supports our scripture, right? We're going to think logically about why God created us. Did God create us because he was lonely? The resounding answer is no. If God was lonely, then that would say that God was missing something in his life. Which means that God is not complete. Which means that God is not totally self-sufficient within himself. Which means that he is not God. God didn't create you and didn't create mankind because he was lonely. He did not create mankind because he just wanted somebody to love. In fact, Paul says in Acts, I believe it's chapter 15 or 17, he's talking to one of the governing officials. And, or no, he's talking to the men, to the people of Athens. That's who he's talking to. He's talking to the people of Athens and he says, God didn't create us like, he's not a God that's formed by human hands. Not, not that he needs any, as if he needs anything from us. God doesn't need anything from us. So why would God create us. Well, let me give you a little background about God before the creation. God was totally self-sufficient within himself. He loved himself. And that may seem like a megalomaniac. That may seem like, oh, well, God's just prideful. He's arrogant. Look, if there's any being in this entire universe that deserves his own glory, it's God, right? Or else he wouldn't be God if God did not deserve glory. So God creates, or he is, before creation, God is totally self-sufficient in himself. He loves the relationship with himself within the Trinity. He, he needs nothing. He needs nothing. He doesn't create us because he's got some need he needs to fulfill. He creates us because he, in his wisdom and in his love, he wants to share his glory with other beings. So he creates us for the specific purpose. You want to know your purpose in life? What's the meaning of life? You want to know your purpose in life? Your purpose in life is to know God. In fact, God wrote a book. <laughs> and some, and, and, and some, and some, some people say that this, this, this Bible is mainly a love, God's love letter to us. And, and while that's true, okay? Well, there, that's true in a way, and that's true in a sense. The primary function of this book here is so that God can reveal himself to us. This is the primary function of this book. We read it because we want to know God. We read it because we want to see God. We read it because we want to feel and experience who God is.
And there's nothing wrong with that because that's why God wrote it. That's why God came up with it and inspired this word. It's the most important topic in the universe. Psalm chapter 19, verses 1 and 2. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to read it to you. The heavens declare the glory of God. And his expanse proclaims the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour out speech. Night after night, they communicate knowledge. Knowledge of what? Knowledge of God himself. The creation, the expanse, tells us about God. Romans chapter 1 and verses 19 and following. It says, what can be known about God? What can be known about God is evident to them. These people that are rebelling against God. Because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, his characteristics, that is his eternal power, his divine nature, have clearly been seen in the creation of the world. Being understood through what he has made. The reason why creation exists is so that we can know God. The reason why the earth is a tiny dot in our galaxy, not to mention the universe. The reason that our earth is a tiny dot in our galaxy, in our city, is a tiny dot on the map of the world, and you are a tiny dot in the map of the city, is so that we can look at this grandeur and know that God is great, infinite, He's so much bigger than us. That's why this world is so tiny on the grand scheme of the universe for years and years. People thought that the earth was the center of the universe. Ain't so. It's not. God is huge. The reason I love, look, I majored in biology in college. Um, that's one of my many majors. <laughs> I majored in biology the, the longest, okay, uh, for years. In uh, uh, organismal biology, and one of my favorite classes, one of my favorite classes was cell biology. I loved it. I love cell biology, and uh, uh, I was I was a, a geek, passionate about cell biology. Right? There are parts of a cell that work in tandem together to make the whole system work, and there are trillions of cells in your body, and there are trillions of people on the planet. And God is intimately acquainted. Listen to this. I want you to understand this because this understands the glory of God. And this helps us to see the glory of God. That God is intimately acquainted with every part of every cell in all of the universe. He knows. He knows when the cell moves the slightest bit. He knows when when, when chemicals in your body ebb and flow. And you're like, how could God know all that? Like, that's way too big. That's the point. <laughs> that's the point. Is that God is not limited in his knowledge and not limited in his acquaintance with everything in the world and everything in the universe. He's not limited. He's intimately acquainted with everything and causes it to work. In fact, in Colossians, it says that all things are, are, are made by Jesus Christ and, and, and for Jesus Christ. And in him, all things do what? Hold together. All things hold together. Without, without the knowledge of Jesus Christ or without the Christ, there would be nothing. So the reason why creation exists is to glorify God, is to make us know who God is. 
you know, after I preach, a lot of times, you know, uh, I have some people come to me and be like, uh, you know, did it, did I ask questions, you know, to certain people, did the message make sense? You know, um, did, did it, you know, was it clear? Did I get the, get a, did I get the point across? Like, because I, that's one of my biggest fears is, is, is not getting the point across, not getting scripture across to you. And often sometimes the response is, it was passionate. <laughs> I'm loud. <laughs> it was passionate, right? But this is something to be passionate about. This is something for everybody, not just pastors, not just people who have been in seminary, not just people who have studied the Bible as, 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 as the, the word of life and a textbook. It's, 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 it's to every one of us. Every one of us. This should be our passion. Why? Because this is why you're created. This is why you exist. If you have a question of why do I exist, this is it. The reason why man exists is for the glory of God. Flip over to Jeremiah chapter 9. We're going to be in verses 23 and 24. And God talks to his people. He says this. This is what the Lord says. A wise person. Jeremiah chapter 9 verse 23. The wise person should not boast in his wisdom. The strong should not boast in his strength. The wealthy should not boast in his wealth. But the one who boasts should boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord, showing faithful love, justice, and righteousness on the earth, for I delight in these things. This is the Lord's declaration. What is the purpose of man? Not to boast in himself, not to boast in his own accomplishments, not to make the most of his life and gaining the most toys and having the most fun and doing all this in his few short years in the planet. No, his purpose, his sole purpose, his sole goal is to know God and to understand him. How? By looking about how God has revealed himself through us, through creation, and through, most importantly, the word that he has provided for us. God has gone. Listen to me. We are blind to this very often. We are blind to this. God has gone through great lengths to make himself known to you. And sometimes we waste it. Sometimes we ignore it. Sometimes we're blind to it. Sometimes we don't see it. Sometimes we can acknowledge, yeah, we can acknowledge God, yeah. I I mean, I know the universe is huge. Yes, you are a great God. And sometimes we can acknowledge, God, I know my sin was great. You are a merciful God. And sometimes we can acknowledge, you know, God, we see the intricacies of every little detail on this planet. I mean, you're a wise God, but that is the, the glorifying God is more than just acknowledging him for who he is. Because like I said earlier in the, in the message, God's glory demands a response from us. It demands a response from us. Now, we're going to look back at the Romans chapter 1 passage. So turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 1 and look at it with me. Starting in verse 18. For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all un- or ungodliness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. The truth of what? The truth of who God is. That's what they suppress. Since what, they, since what can be known by God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. 
For his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. We just read all that. As a result, we didn't read this part. As a result, they're without excuse. For though they know God, or they knew God, here's the indictment against them. Two things. They did not glorify him as God, or Show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, reptiles, iPhones, um, um, uh, you know, uh, hobbies, football, um, uh, money, vacation, whatever. You've exchanged, they've exchanged the glory of God for something else, that's the point. For a created thing rather than, rather than the creator. But I want to look closely at this indictment in verse 21. Although they knew God, they didn't do two things. They didn't glorify him as God. In other words, they didn't give him credit where credit was due. That's the base. They didn't give him credit where credit was due. They didn't say, God, you're powerful. God, you're wise. God, you're loving. God, you're merciful. They didn't give him credit. They didn't glorify him as God. But the really part, the part I really want to focus on is the second part. They did not do what? Give him thanks. They didn't give him thanks. They didn't show gratitude. What's so important about that? And so as a, as a good exegete, as, as someone who, who looks at a message or someone who looks at a passage and exegetes the passage and looks and asks questions about the passage, you're, you, you're asking, okay, what does this, why does he even say gratitude? Why does he even say thankfulness here? Like, it seems like the only indictment against these people would be that they didn't glorify God, period. But he says they didn't glorify God or thank him or show gratitude. Why does he say that? It's because the glory of God, like I said, demands a response. Because sometimes we kind of fall in that middle area, don't we? We give God the glory for being all-knowing. We give God the glory for being all-powerful. We give God the glory for being all-merciful. But we leave it at that, the acknowledgement. And we don't respond in a way that we should respond. So how should we respond? That's the question. How, not, how do we not respond? That's, a, that's, that's the first thing. I want you to, I want you to look. Let's, let's, let's look at, at the end of verse one, at the end of verse 21 here. It says, instead their thinking became what? Worthless. And their hearts are what? Senseless. They, in other words, they're following worthless things. They're thinking in all their smarts, in all their studying of nature, and all their studying of all these things. It's, at the end of the day, it's worthless. Listen, you can go throughout this, 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 this life and be the smartest person that ever lived. The smartest person that ever lived. And die and your smarts be all for nothing. Totally worthless. I'm not speaking against intelligence and I'm not speaking against knowledge. Because those are things that God has given us. But the reason why he's given us that is so that we can know him. And we can understand him. Right? This is why I love Science, like I love science because it's it's a study of things that 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 how the world works, especially biology, how 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 life works. 
And, and, and you see that and your mind as a Christian goes to, this is great. God is so wonderful. But their thinking became worthless. And their hearts became what? Senseless. What, is, what does that speak to? That speaks that to their hearts were attached. And I was preaching on this a few weeks ago. Their hearts were attached to, to senseless things. Things that, that are temporal. Things that in the eternity don't really matter. And sometimes we get like that. Especially in a world that is full of gadgets. In a world that's full of fun experiences. In a, in a world that's full of the latest and the greatest. We can become so distracted with the temporal that we totally miss the eternal. We totally miss what's worth attaching our hearts to. Like I preached a few weeks ago, there's nothing wrong with having stuff. But the question is, is what do you attach your heart to? And these people did not attach their hearts. They attached their hearts to senseless things. Friends, neglecting to see and respond to the wonder and the beauty and the value and the worth of God results in worthless and senseless things. The purpose of your life is to know God and enjoy him. That is the response, to enjoy him. All right, y'all with me? Westminster Catechism. All right, I'm gonna teach you, teach you a little history lesson. Westminster Shorter Catechism. What does it say? The chief end of man is, what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to what? Right, glorify God and to enjoy him forever. To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Notice they have the glorify God part. Notice they have the response part, part, enjoying God forever. Because my friends, when you know God, when you seek God, when you diligently seek and desire after God and you get God and you see God, you're enjoying him. You're either enjoying him or you're afraid of him. And if you're afraid of him, you repent, trust in Jesus Christ, and then you enjoy him. God is so enjoyable. Enjoyable than more than any activity you ever take place in here. God is so much more enjoyable than any, any gadget you can get. God is so much more enjoyable than any part and piece of creation on this planet. Any relationship, God is so much more enjoyable than that. And I pray, this has been my prayer all week for you guys. My, my, my prayer is this, that God would open our eyes to see him as all satisfying, all enjoyable, all great, all worthy of praise. Uh, and, and, and that you can't wait to get, your, to get home, to lock yourself in your prayer closet and spend time with the Lord. That's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for me. Is that we see God for how great and how glorious he is. And guess what? He's offering to that to you. You can have that. That's his goal for you. In fact, that's his purpose for you. Is so that you would know him. What is the proper response to God's glory? You see, well, what is your proper response? Or what is your response when you see something beautiful? What is your response when you see something valuable? What is your response when you see something great? What is your response when you see LSU beat Alabama? <laughs> what is your response to that? Oh, yeah, awesome, great, yeah? You respond to it like that? Except for Grayson here who goes to Alabama. Roll, 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 Todd, roll. 
around the bowl and down the hole, right? <laughs> so that, that, that's, but this is what I'm talking about. We get excited about those things, but sometimes, just being honest, sometimes we come in here and, and, and we're like, ah, it's another, another Sunday or another day, you know. And do, do we see God clearly enough to get excited about him? Do we see God enough clearly uh, 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 to celebrate? And that's why I love Lenny, having Lenny on the worship team. Because he is all about celebrating who God is. And whenever I'm kind of down, he lifts me up and says, and says, man, it's a great day to celebrate God, isn't it? And I, yes, it is. It's a wonderful day to celebrate God because God's worthy of celebrating. And we see God as infinitely beautiful. I just want to read a couple passages of scripture to you. And then we'll, and then we'll, we'll, we'll kind of be, we'll, we'll close out. Psalm chapter 29, verses 1 through 2. Listen, listen close. It says, ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings. Talk to the angels here. Ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. First Chronicles chapter 16, verses 8 through 13 and 23 through 31 says, Give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, proclaim his deeds among the people, sing to him, sing praise to him. Tell about his wondrous works, boast in his holy name, let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face always. Remember the wondrous works that he has done. His wonders and the judgments that he has pronounced. You offspring of Israel, his servant, Jacob's descendant, his chosen ones. Let the whole earth sing to the Lord. Proclaim his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations. His wondrous works among the peoples. For the Lord is great and highly praised. He is feared above all other gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord has made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. Ascribe to the Lord families of the people. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord glory of his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Let the whole earth tremble before him. The world is firmly established. It cannot be shaken. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice and let them say among the nation, the Lord reigns. Amen. Sometimes this is in our mindset. And why? It's not because God's glory is diminished. It's not because he's less valuable. It's not because he's less worthy. It's not because he's less beautiful. It's not because he's less great and he's less glorious. Sometimes we don't respond in this way to God's glory, not because of him diminished, uh, his glory is diminished, not because of that, but because we get blinded. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and chapter 4. He says the veil is over the minds of unbelievers. The, the, the God of this world has 
blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the gospel of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And sometimes, friends, we are blinded to this. And it's affecting every area of our life in a negative way. We worry and have anxiety when we shouldn't worry and have anxiety because God is trustworthy and he's worthy of our trust. We, 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 we worry about finances or, 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 or we, we chase after other things and, 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 and to, to, to try to fulfill us and our satisfaction when we, know, when we should know that God is the all satisfying, all life giving, all, 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 all joy-giving treasure. And the problem's us, right? The problem's our eyes. So I'm going to give you three things. One minute, I promise. Three things. Ah, the light just came on. <laughs> oh, it just went off. That ain't my glory. <laughs> what you doing about there, Keith? <laughs> uh, all right. Three things. Sometimes we get distracted. Sometimes we don't see the glory of God and respond to it in the way that we need to. And part of the problem is, this, hey, this is perfect because we're in the limelight. <laughs> Sometimes we place ourselves in the limelight. Sometimes we place ourselves in the spotlight. You have to understand something, church. This life, this world, it, it ain't about you. The reason for your existence is not about you. We are like, uh, 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 this is like a story of play, right? It's like a story of play, and sometimes we place ourselves in the spotlight. And we put ourselves as God over our own lives. Jesus says this to the Pharisees in John chapter 5, verse 44, who was struggling with the same thing. He says, how can you believe? He says, how can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but don't seek the glory that comes from above? The answer is, they can't. They can't believe when they constantly seek glory from people, when they seek affirmation from people, when they seek the things that are down here, when they seek the temporal life, whenever their life is in the limelight, life is about me, 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 me. God's just a portion of it. Church is just a portion of it. But the life is about me, 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 me. And guys, that should not be our mindset. Our mindset should be knowing God. I want to know God, know God, know God, know God. And make him known. No God, make him known. No God, make him known. No God, make him known. Because at the end of our 80, 90 years, 100 years of on this planet, life's sure not going to be about you. It's going to be about him alone. And the, the proper response is worship. And worship's not just limited to singing and bowing the knee. Some people think that that's what heaven is. Some people think that, that heaven's just, just, just singing all the time, worshiping, bowing the knees. If you, if, if that's your thought, you don't, you don't have a proper understanding of what worship is. Worship is declaring the worth and the value of the one you are worshiping. And that does not just happen in singing. That does not just happen in bowing the knee, but it happens in every aspect of your life. Worship happens in every aspect of your life. And it should happen in every aspect of your life. So get out of the limelight. Move out of the way. Let him have center stage. Let him have center stage. Some of you, this affects your relationships. You get mad at people. You get ticked off of them because they've wronged you. And you get, you, you get mad at them because you just don't like them as a person or whatever. But if God's in the middle, he's in the limelight. If he's in the spotlight of the play, if he's, he's the main character in the story... Forgiveness is not really a problem. 
Because we want to express who God is in the way that we act. Number two, delight in God's word. Psalm chapter one, we just read this in Sunday school this morning. Psalm chapter one, happy is the man who delights in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water whose roots go deep and it yields its fruit in due season. Delight in God's word. That's how we see God and glorify God. Bible is God's word to us, self-revelation. And number three, turn to Christ. Second Corinthians chapter three, verse 16, it says, but whenever a person turns to Christ, the veil is removed and he sees God. He sees him clearly. You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus Christ. You want to see what Jesus Christ is like? Look in here, right? Maybe sometimes it's, we, 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 we don't act this out perfectly. I know I don't. But hopefully this is a challenge to us to see, God's, to see God's glory and to worship him for who he is. Don't be blind. Don't be blind. God wants you to know him. He's gone through great lengths for you to know him, for you to know him and be delighted in him. God wants you to be happy. Uh, some people tell you God doesn't want you to be happy. God does want you to be happy. He just knows what's going to make you the happiest. And what's going to make you the happiest is a relationship with him. That's what's going to make you the happiest. And knowing him. That's what's going to make you most joyful. He wants you to be joyful. He wants you to be happy. Let's pray.